because we begin each morning of practice in Sashin with the Gatha of Atonement, I'm going to speak a little bit about this atonement comes, it's a gatha that is a translation of Japanese text, which is a Chinese, which probably has um, similar versions in Sanskrit. So, Of course, choices that we make in English to translate practice tends to carry with it our um, expectations and understandings of English words. So, a number of different ways of translating it, uh, struggle with this, and I, in a sense, add a whole line in order to clarify what it is, this atonement, gatha of atonement, is pointing to, and and not more than pointing to, but enabling us to do as we're chanting, making commitment. Um, The first line is often literally translated as all evil karma or all crooked karma ever committed by me since of old. All evil, crooked karma. And what we're getting at in saying that, in a way has to be balanced by the tendency we have to tie evil up with, what should I say, judgments that sometimes in English really take us off the track, which is why I like all harmful. Harmful in the sense of what? What is harming? Fundamentally, the point is that what we're harming is our ability and capacity for seeing and being who and what we truly are. What we're harming is causing and perpetuating suffering for ourselves and others. 
That's the evil, if we use that translation. The crooked karma, which another translation had, or twisted karma. Twisted in the sense that there's a cause and effect reality that we live, but if we're blinded by self-centeredness, blinded by not seeing what's so, blinded by all the tendencies that keep us from living the life that we are, then this that, in a sense, is who and what this universe is becomes seen through this greed, anger, and ignorance, greed, anger, and folly, as someone else says, into something that causes us and others suffering and harming. So in one sense, it's the life of the universe as it manifests right now, and the sense that it's cause and effect of ongoing changing, coming from all sorts of past that we don't have to know where and don't have to figure out, and yet it comes together as our life and the life of all that we are part of. And whether we think of it as all harmful actions, all of my harmful actions, all of harmful actions done to me, done by me, and the to me and by me is in a way, it's not there, it's just, it would just be all harmful actions ever committed, but because of our own sense of what we do and what others do, so to speak, I bring in to me and by me to help us include, be all inclusive. in what gives rise to difficulties, to harming, and to suffering in life, which unless we see it for what it is, we're blinded by it. And what blinds us is this beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Beginningless in the sense we don't have to figure out where it comes from. We don't have to add blame. It's part and parcel of body, mouth, and thought. Part and parcel of the capacity that we have as being human, but also part and parcel of the tendencies we have. 
the tendencies of self-centeredness, the tendencies of reactiveness, the tendencies of entanglements in dreams. So, in a sense, we're using the gatha to bring together all our tendencies in all the different ways that they arise for us. Each time we do this, we're acknowledging and touching on all this that might otherwise blind us. And we're saying, whether we translate it, I now confess and purify, or I now atone, I now acknowledge and am at one. What we're saying is, I now enter into the world uh, as practice, this world as intimacy of being, seeing, practicing as we are, as opposed to this story that comes forth out of our tendencies of greed, our tendencies of anger, our tendencies of confusion of what's so, which is self-centeredness. So, in another um, text, in the Dhammapada, the Buddha is describes this as one illuminates clarifies this world just as the moon clarifies when it's freed from the clouds. In other words, practice is the ability to free the the life that we are from the clouds which blind us to the moon or to the awakened life. That we are. It doesn't mean that there aren't these cause and effect consequences that are necessary for us to, if I use the word, live through, practice through, inhabit and be intimate with despite the fact that we don't want them. The Dhammapada verse that I quoted originate, originally is connected when the Buddha talked about it, brought it up, was connected to um, Angulimala, who was a disciple of the Buddha. Some of you might remember I've brought him up before. He was a famous killer, a famous killer in India who used to wear a necklace of the finger bone of each of his victims. 
He had nine hundred and ninety-nine, and he want and he was wanted to get the thousand, and he decided to go. He heard about the Buddha, and he decided he would go kill the Buddha and get his finger bone for the thousand. So this is a person who was much hated throughout in the area in the Indian subcontinent where he was hunting people. Villages hated him and feared him. The king offered rewards and sent out soldiers after him. He was considered particularly vicious, obviously. So he came, he saw the Buddha, and he started running after the Buddha. And for some reason, no matter how much he ran, he could not catch the Buddha. So at some point he yelled after him, Hey, Shakyamuni, stop! I'm trying to catch you! And the Buddha said to him, Angulamalak, the Buddha had heard about it. Actually, the Buddha had been dissuaded by his disciples and, the, and various villagers from going out on his begging rounds, saying there's Angulamalas there, and it's very dangerous to go in this forest. Anyway, the Buddha went in any, anyway. So the Buddha said to Angulamala, says, Angulamala, I've stopped. You are still running, being driven by greed and anger and hatred. And somehow this led Angulamala to reflect and to talk to the Buddha. And the Buddha explained to him the Four Noble Truths practice the end of suffering the causes and ending ends of suffering and Angulamala said could someone like even like me enter into this path and the Buddha said yes yes would you take me as a disciple yes and he became a disciple of the Buddha now even though he shaved his head and even though he was dressed in the robes of the Buddha's disciples, when he went into the villages, the villagers knew who he was and they beat him mercilessly. And he allowed this to happen. He accepted this. Um, at one point it is said, that the king sent, came forth with a troop of soldiers and he came upon Buddha with his disciples and he said to Buddha that, you know, it's dangerous here, I'm hunting the Sangalamala. And the Buddha brought forth this disciple. There's a dialogue between the Buddha in one of the sutras and the king and then the Buddha says, See this disciple who is beaten, but like the other disciples, wearing robes, and says, this is Angulamala. And the king was reacted, but nevertheless the Buddha said, because he's now practicing, this, he's a, he accepts whatever punishment people 
met out to him, but he's now truly on the path of practice, the path of becoming an arhat. And the king, because of the Buddha's words and other words, was willing to accept that. And it's said that Angulamala became a um, great and compassionate monk under the Buddha and actually became an arhat, um, one of the senior accomplished disciples of the Buddha. So, when asked about how such a murderer could become an arhat, the Buddha told, said, used this example of saying how when one practices the path, one is like a world that's illumined by the moon which had previously been hidden in the clouds, but the practice frees the moon from the clouds, frees us to see what's so. This is what Gatha of Atonement is about. It's in the midst of greed, anger, and ignorance that we all, by being embodied, we all are subject to the cause and effect forces of caught in self-centered dream, holding to self-centered thoughts, all the ways that we twist what's so, because we don't see what's so, and therefore being willing to acknowledge, being willing to experience what arises and yet not to act on it, but to see it for what it is. And the way we do that is as this arises, whether it's turmoil in thoughts, in feelings, in bodily conditions, things that we don't want happening, things that we want not happening, all the other ways. This is the being at one, which is the core of our practice. In the midst of Life as it is. Life as it is, is, if I use the word, harmful actions we did and others did, done to us, done by us. That's just to cover all the bases, so to speak, because it's, this is a general statement as opposed to the various specifics. See, it's always this matter of seeing seeing our life as it is and therefore not having to react in unskillful, entangling ways, but rather being experiencing, being inhabiting this moment and then doing things 
what's skillful rather than doing what entangles us. Because then we can see what's so rather than seeing through the clouds that cover over the light that we are. In another Dhammapada uh, phrase, the Buddha uses an example. He says, if we see the world for what it is, or see it as a bubble, as a mirage, I'm sure some of you have heard We're in the Diamond Sutra. At the end of the sutra, there's a phrase, uh, Gatha, where it says, like a flash of lightning, like a drop of dew, like a bubble. Thus should you consider it. Not in the sense to denigrate, but seeing our greed and anger arising and the things that we are greedy and angry about, seeing them as just this bubble, then, the Buddha says, then if we do that, then death even doesn't see us. That doesn't mean we don't die, but that means we can be at peace in the midst of all the various conditions, because we could be at one in the conditions. That's what this harmful actions. Harmful means that it harms us and it harms others. Harmful in the sense that it keeps us from experiencing our life because of how it covers our eyes and our ears and our all the organs of senses with the self-centered entanglement, self-centered dreams, self-centered clouding of our functioning and of our being present. So, the gatha of atonement is a gatha at least to start off with the intention to let those go. To let those go by being willing and intending to inhabit this moment. Acknowledging this moment as it is, is to acknowledge what's so and be one with that what's so. If we're one with that so, then we can do what's called for to the best of our ability. That's really what the whole of our practice is. And making a vow, a commitment each morning is a reminder, but it also gives us the energy of that commitment to do it. Some of it we might remember in our head consciously, and some of it just carries along despite our not knowing how it works. Not knowing how it works, we're willing to stop, so to speak. 
in a way, Zazen is stopping. It's stopping in this moment. It's stopping by stepping into this moment, which is where we are. The Gatha of at one, even if we use the word purify, it purifies what's always pure. And yet we need to do our part when it's called for. When it's called for by the, what should I say, cause and effect karma, if I use that kind of word. We, we Westerners tend to, what should I say, turn karma into blame, um, sin and consequences, and all sorts of other strange notions, which of course are connected to self and other dreams, self and other stories. So, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Gatha, because I do it every day, and we do it every day, because it's a force that both reminds us and encourages us Acknowledging what's so, which is noticing when we're caught up. Acknowledging is simply the process of being being embodied, which means that all the knowledge of body-mind functioning arises, and yet being at one. At one is right here, where we are, and inhabiting and experiencing this. Okay, I've spoken enough. Thank you. And if you have some things that you want to bring up, please do so. I decided that uh, I'll record the Dharma talks, but I'm not going to record the questions and answers, if that's okay. Sure. So...